Shalom, Gracious, those of you on site and those of you online, we are already at the second last sermon in our Family Matters uh, preaching series, which is from the book of 1 Corinthians. So how many of you agree that family matters? Hey, we preached 10 sermons already, you know. Now family matters, right? <laughs> no matter what, you know, families are imperfect, we understand, because we are part of the family ourselves. But we always want to do our best for the families, isn't it? So that they will be, um, you know, every need they have, they are met. And so Paul is trying to do the same because family matters. But I must say that one of the saddest familial situations arising from the pandemic um, must have been the death of a loved one. Remember the time at the height of the quarantine measures and the border closures that, you know, people, uh, a loved one would have passed away, but they could not even go to the funeral. You know, virtual funerals uh, was a godsend, but you know, they were, they were quite cold and quite clinical. And, and I must say, you know, for us watching, right, from a distance, imagine the person who, who had, you know, who, who passed away. Imagine that, 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 that fear and the loneliness on their own because family couldn't even be close by, you know. Can you imagine dying on your own and not able to meet your loved ones for the last time? Actually, I attended two such uh, virtual funerals via Zoom. And I must say that uh, there's uh, this, this feeling, overriding feeling of helplessness, just, just watching, just watching, not being able to be there for the last final goodbyes. You can't even be in the presence of your loved ones. So I was thinking how much more for their non-Christian family members who did not have a future hope beyond this earthly life, how much worse you know, for them. And so Paul, in the same way, he was concerned with the faith and the hope of the Corinthian Christians. He had heard something about uh, their denial of the resurrection and also of the resurrection of the dead, right? Leading to the denial of the bodily uh, resurrection of believers. So what was the problem? This was the problem in verse 12. He said, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So that, that was a problem. So the denial of res- the, the resurrection is not a trivial problem. It was, it was a major problem because it minimized the full purpose of Christ's saving work on their behalf. Verse 19, he said, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know? So I'm glad to tell you today that the, uh, our sermon is entitled, Guaranteed. Our resurrection is guaranteed, confirmed, plus. And it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 1 to 58. What's the big idea? The big idea is this. God has given us hope in the restoration of the Edenic vision. So allow me to show how our resurrection is directly connected with the restoration of God's Edenic vision. Okay, first, let's establish how our resurrection is guaranteed, confirmed, and chopped. So the first point is about the proof. What kind of proof do we have that we will also be resurrected? Christ. Christ is our proof. He's the first fruit. So those of you following, type in the chat, proof. In verse 1 of Corinthians uh, chapter 15, Paul reminded them of the reality of the gospel. You know? The gospel he preached, got the gospel they received, and on which they now stood and were being saved. So what were the elements of the gospel that Paul preached and they believed? First, that Christ died for their sins. Second, Christ was buried. And third, Christ was raised on the third day. 
So the truth of Christ's resurrection is the proof of ours and also theirs. So verse 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also come, uh, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So what's the significance of this first fruits? In the Old Testament, especially in Leviticus, you will, you will read about the first fruits. The first fruits were the harvest that were offered as wave offerings uh, to the Lord. And what did, what did they mean? When, when they offered this as first fruits, they meant that the entire harvest would be coming soon. It was the offering to the Lord, right? Dedicating the full harvest to God and indicating that its entirety would soon follow. And in the same way, Christ has been raised as an offering to God, the first fruits, the representative of those who would follow suit. So his resurrection made the phenomenon of resurrection possible. It guaranteed the inadvertible for believers and sets our future in motion. Right? So if those who died, Paul said, they had only fallen asleep. How many of you have fallen asleep? No, we just started the sermon. So, so he said, if those of you have fallen asleep, it means that they will get to wake again. Right? So death is not final. Death is asleep for believers. Amen? So the first thing, the first fruits, that's the proof. The second thing, the testimony of Christ's life appearances or alive appearances, right? Do you know that there have been countless sightings of Elvis Presley 45 years after he purportedly died? In fact, there's so many sightings that they have uh, uh, an Elvis sighting society. You know. But invariably, when the sightings are probed or investigated, you know what's the saying? Elvis has already left the building. He always, he always leaves the building. He can never be found. You know. But Christ's resurrection, it's not hearsay. Paul at one time said, right, 500, more than 500 brothers saw him at one time, you know. So the 500, like, like, like all of you, if you see me do something funny, right, you, it will be true, right? Because 500 of you saw it. So he said, Cephas saw it, Peter saw it, Paul saw it, James, the brother of Jesus, saw him alive. You know. So for, for Paul, the fact of Christ's resurrection was not something they just, you know, it wasn't hearsay. It was proof. Even today, right, in our courts, eyewitness testimonies have power to what? To acquit or to convict, you know, the accused. So eyewitness testimonies are not to be taken lightly. So Paul said, you know, it's the same for us. It's not just something we hold lightly in our head or in our hearts. It's something that was life-changing. It changed our lives, which is the third proof, actually. The life-threatening encounters that Paul and the disciples faced. Verse 14, Paul said, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 30, then he asked, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we diet. No, no, no he says, for tomorrow we die. He's, he's a direct quote from Isaiah. So if Christ's resurrection was a fable, Right? 
a, a fabrication, a fiction, or worse, a falsehood, fake news. Then their preaching and their faith in the gospel would have been in vain. In fact, everything would be in vain if Christ was not raised. So Paul said, why would he endanger himself if the resurrection was a lie? He said, no, it was a reality that was worth living for because it was worth dying for. And Paul was willing to stake his entire life on the resurrection of Christ and of the dead. How so? In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 27, he listed down a brief summary of his life and death encounters. He said, five times I received 39 lashes. Now these were not eyelashes, huh? these were whip lashes, right? Three times beaten with rods. One time stoned, you know. Doesn't mean he was high, huh? he was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Many times in danger from rivers, robbers, Gentiles, and false brothers. Many nights without food, drink, or sleep. You know? And tradition tells us that Paul finally was beheaded in Rome, you know, around AD 64. So why was Paul so fearless and so adamant in proving Christ's resurrection with his life? Because Christ's resurrection is central to the message of the gospel. If Christ was not raised, then everything about the gospel falls apart. Okay, Romans chapter 1. Listen, Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared, what? To be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by what? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So what's Paul saying? See, the fact that Christ was raised proves his sonship, you know. That he was not just a self-proclaiming Messiah like so many, but because God raised him from the dead, he was definitely the Son of God. And because he is the Son of God, he can save us from all our sins, all who believe on him. And that was why Paul said, it is crucial to our faith that Christ rose from the dead. If he was not raised, then Christ was a fraud, the gospel a hoax, and our faith a scam. So do you really believe today in Christ's resurrection? Because if you do, you will be raised as well. Because Christ has been raised, our faith and our preaching is not in vain. Amen? So that's the first thing he proves. By their resurrection, we will be resurrected. Second, now they ask, if indeed we are resurrected, right? They're quite skeptical. So what what form will our resurrection take? So Paul will say, the form will, will pattern after a glorious body. And those of you following, type in the chat, glorious. It will be a glorious body. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised in? So they're skeptical. Yeah, you sure. What kind of body would they come? Then Paul says, you, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He's just t- talking about natural, agricultural, uh, you know, facts that they know. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, you know, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Verse 39. For not all flesh is is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. 
There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Look, look at one another and say, you're one kind. <laughs> it to be fair, the Corinthian Christians did believe in life after death just not one with a physical body. They had trouble with that. You remember, as mentioned many times in our earlier sermons, the Greeks' idea of spirituality was without a body. It was the spirit and the soul. The body was a temporary nuisance, a limitation to escape from. Right? Spirit good, body bad. And that's why they either abused the body or ignored its needs. To them, the body was inferior and defective, and to be resurrected back into one was really a step backwards. But Paul argued that regarding the resurrected body, they had it wrong. It's not going to be this. First of all, it will be different. What is sown is not what will be. So you, you know that in real life. What is sown is not what will be. There will be a continuity and a discontinuity between the pre and the post-resurrection body. There are some areas where it's the same, same, and some areas where it is not the same. You know. Exactly how, we do not know. But the point is, death must happen before new life can emerge. That's the teaching. So the body as we know it is sown in death, but it will be raised anew, physical and yet different, being adapted to the new conditions of our heavenly existence. You know. Let me show you this picture. Now this picture, right, is courtesy of Pastor Wilson. After he polished off nicely the seat, uh, he helped me take a picture. Thank you. <laughs> so, do you know that these are all the same DNA? It, it's hard to tell, right? Because the, the, the tree, right, the tree sprouted from the seed, but it looks nothing like the seed. And the thorny fruit is even far more further away than the seed, you know? Do you know that an unripened seed is toxic? Yeah? But a ripened fruit, to some people, is glorious, you know? And if you still cannot tell the difference, uh, that they are different, just imagine you being hit on the head with a seed and hit on the head with a fruit. I'm sure you know the difference. Uh. <laughs> but it's one thing to say that the body will be different. It's another to say uh, that it's guaranteed, confirmed chop, uh, that it will be better than the original, which is what Paul says. Not only will, will it be different, right? It's not the same as what we have. It will also be better. What is sown is of dust. What is raised is of heaven, Verse 42, so is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so in what way will it be better than the original? First they say, it will be raised imperishable. No more given to decay and aging. How many will say Amen. Amen. It will be raised in glory, partaking of God's divine nature. It will be like God, you know, raised in power to its new permanent state, never changing. And then it will be raised a spiritual body. Now, this word, these two words that trip them up. Paul, what are you saying? Is it spirit or body? What, what do you mean by spiritual body, right? It's either spirit or body. Why spiritual body? So Paul is saying, look, the, the word spiritual here is not used as the opposite of physical or material. It is used as the opposite of natural, sinful, carnal. So this body will be different. It will be physical, but it will be spiritual. Let's continue to read. What else? Verse 45. 
Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Who's, who's the last Adam? Jesus, right? But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of, of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. So our body would be like Jesus' body. You know. How was Jesus' post-resurrection body? Remember? It was natural. It was of the earth. Because you know, he could converse with them, he could speak, he could listen, he could eat and drink. How many of you are glad that you can still eat and drink? You know, you know, in your new body. He could. And then he could be seen and felt you know, and touched. But in, in another way, he, it was not just natural, it was supernatural. It was of heaven. Because he could walk through doors, you know, right? He could appear and disappear as he willed. And finally, he ascended up to the clouds, the same body. So in, in the same way, our bodies will have these two aspects. It will be natural, but also supernatural. It will be not just the man of dust, it will be also resembling the man of heaven. Let me show you another two, two pictures. Now, if you, if you told a kid, right, a child, and you show the picture of a caterpillar uh, and a butterfly, and you tell the kid right, that you know, butterflies come from caterpillars, you know what? The child will look at you in, in disbelief, right? Because how can this hairy, grubby, crawly, right, be transformed, become this um, magnificent, majestic, multicolored, beautiful work of art, you know, floating work of, of art? It's impossible, right? How many of you have ever touched a caterpillar? You have, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not a good feeling, right? But a butterfly. Wow, how does that happen, you know? How can you tell me they are the same? They're not only of the same, they're not only different. They are, the butterfly is much, much better than the caterpillar, right? Better. So in the same way, in the same mysterious and miraculous way, we will be transformed you know, from our natural body, which is like this crawly, <laughs> to this beautiful, spiritual, supernatural body. Amazing, but we can see it, right? So it's possible. Of this amazing transformation, right, Paul could only describe it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, 21, he says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his what? Glorious, you know. That's no other word. When you see, oh, sorry, the butterfly gone, flew away. When you see the butterfly, you can see, wow, compared to the caterpillar, right? It's glorious, you know. What a glorious transformation. So folks, a change is coming and at the resurrection, you will not be a nobody or anybody or just a somebody. You will have a glorified body. Anyone looking forward to it? Huh? So because our life after death is better and more glorious, our hope in the Lord is not in vain. Now some of you looking at this, you're already thinking, right, about the nose, eye, ear job that you've always wanted. So why not get a complete makeover at the resurrection, you will be transformed. Amen. That's our hope, right? That's our hope. Well, Paul had already asserted the certainty of resurrection, proving it, and then he's telling them it will be patterned after the body of Jesus Christ, the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. 
And then he told them, it, so therefore it must, uh, not only is resurrection certain, the resurrection must be bodily. And why must it be so? Then he, he went on to explain, why is a bodily resurrection important? Well, the answer is of a cosmic and epic proportion. Right? What's the purpose of a bodily resurrection? It is to restore God's, or to fulfill God's Edenic vision. Yeah. Those of you online, just type Eden. Now, I don't know if, whether you've forgotten about the, the Edenic vision. In the opening chapters of Genesis, you've heard what? You've heard that God had a plan, right? For us to join together with this divine family to rule and to extend Eden across the whole earth. That was the goal that God had. Right? But that was disrupted, why? When humanity fell into sin. And when we fell into sin, uh, death came upon the human race. So in our spiritual realm preaching series last year, and also our recently completed class on this same topic, we recounted how God masterfully reversed the ravages of sin, but also death to Christ Jesus. So to continue the Edenic vision, death must first be evicted from his intrusion upon humanity. Verse 26, he said, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The sting of death is sin, verse 56, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So for God's Edenic vision to be fulfilled, death must first be defeated. You see, the gospel is more than just sin management and reconciling fallen creatures to God the Father. It's not just about saving us from the power, the presence, and the penalty of sin. Yes, it is that, but much more. It's not just about sin. Ultimately, the gospel is God's way of dealing with humanity's death. The last enemy that stands in the way of humans fully imaging Yahweh. Just now we read earlier, verse 22, Paul's reference to Adam. He said, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all be made alive. Reminds us that Christ's work was to reverse both the effects of Adam's sin and the resulting death that befell humankind. As long as human beings like you and me are confined to a certain lifespan, we will not be able to live to our full extent as God's images. And the work of extending Eden to the whole earth will be forever left unfinished but thanks be to God. All that changed when Jesus came in the flesh. First on the cross, he reversed the effects of sin. How? By absorbing the sting, right? And fulfilled the law on our behalf, removing its power to condemn us. And secondly, by his resurrection from the dead, he declared a resounding victory over death and broke Satan's hold over humankind once and for all. Paul said in the end, Christ will destroy every opposing rule, power, and authority. So death must be defeated before God's images, you and I, can be restored. Let's, read, let's continue to read now, verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, 
where is your sting? See, our original body, the Adamic nature body, because of sin and defilement, the Bible tells us we cannot inherit the kingdom of God because it is inc incompatible with the nature of God. God is holy and God is eternal. We are corrupt and we are temporal. But as the images of God on earth, we must have a bodily presence. We cannot be floating around as spirits because that will not be imaging God the way God wants us to be uh, imaging Him. So at our resurrection, our mortal bodies will finally be transformed and our salvation made complete when we take on our new glorified bodies. So you and I can look death in the face today and not flinch you know, out of fear, whether now or, or, or when we actually meet death, eh? because we know in Christ we will all be raised imperishable, immortal for all eternity. Death is the last enemy. Yes, it is a fearsome enemy, but it is the last enemy and the final door that stands between us and our destiny as God's representatives and our inheritance and adoption as full-fledged members of His family. So like caterpillars that are primed from birth to become butterflies, we were created to live forever. Amen. At our resurrection, we will cast off the corruptible, the perishable, and the mortal for the incorruptible, imperishable, and the immortal. First John chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle John said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He, Christ, appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is, Jesus, the first fruits, we, the rest of the harvest. Verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So yes, we as Yahweh's believing loyalists have this grand hope of literally becoming like Christ. Not just in his character, not just in our mission, but literally like Christ in our glorified bodies. When he appears, we shall be like him. Then we will be fully restored as God's images co-ruling and expanding his Edenic project on earth. Tell your neighbor, it will be well worth the wait. It will be well worth the wait. So because God is restoring his Edenic vision, our labor, our suffering, our toil in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? We will be raised to life again, putting off the, the perishing, the decaying, for the new. So in summary, three points, very simple. Christ's resurrection is central to our faith. Right? Without it, we have no faith. Our preaching will be in vain. Our faith will be in vain. If he was not raised from the dead, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then everything we believe, we live or we hope for is utterly in vain. Paul said, we are of all people most to be pitied. But thank God that Christ was raised from the dead. Second, Christ's resurrection anchors our resurrection. He, as the first fruit, paves the way for our resurrection to follow suit. We too will be raised with a glorified body to be truly like Him. Third, Christ's resurrection signals the start of the restoration of God's Edenic vision. See, Christ's victory over death enables us to be restored as God's images so as to fulfill Yahweh's goal of a global Eden when the reconstituted divine human family will rule together as one. You know, Dr. Gordon Fee, the eminent New Testament scholar who wrote for me the classic commentary on the First Corinthians, he went home to be the, with the Lord just this last Tuesday. And there's so many things 
uh, that people said about him that there was one story that stuck with me and it said there was one class that he was teaching and it was on the New Testament a New Testament book then he came into the class and, and announced that this class is not about the New Testament huh? then they, did I come to the wrong class? no he said this class is about immortality see someday you will hear somebody say that Gordon Fee is dead See, don't you believe it? He is singing with his Lord and his King. Amen. Don't you believe it? One day, somebody would say to you, Oh, Ming Chang is dead, has died. Hey, don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than I've ever been. You will be more alive than you've ever been. Worshipping, praising, dancing before the Lord you love. So let me leave with you this question. If you know you're going to live forever, how will you live today? If you know you're going to live forever, how will you live today? I hope very differently. I hope very, very differently. Paul concluded this whole section right, with verse 58. He said, Therefore, my brothers, my beloved brothers, uh, of course, not forgetting the sisters, he said, Be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. Be steadfast. Keep on keeping on. Don't lose the ground you have already gained in your walk with the Lord. Stay true to your faith. Now is not the time to back off, not the time to backslide. Now is the time to strain forward. Then he said, immovable. Don't deviate. Don't deviate. Don't be distracted. Don't sweat the small stuff. When you compare that with eternity, eh, this will be negligible. You know? Don't take offences seriously. Keep your accounts short. Keep your eye on the finishing line. Focus on finishing well. Immovable. Steadfast. And they said, always abounding in the Lord's work. Be mindful. Be excellent. Be productive. Use your spiritual gifts to edify one another. Every investment in God's kingdom matters, you know. Every toil, every ounce of energy expended to help someone enter the kingdom will not be wasted. In Christ, our ROI, the big payoff, is guaranteed, confirmed, and what? Chop, you know, and chop. For me, where I am today, the thought of resurrection actually gets more and more appealing every day, you know. Especially when I wake up uh, and, and, I, and I found a new ache uh, in a muscle I never knew I had before, you know. <laughs> or, or, you know, uh, uh, just enjoying a senior moment. Coming into the room and then forgetting why I was there for. Or, can't remember, did I misplace something that I'm, I'm supposed to be looking and uh, finding. But it's good and sobering. A good and sobering reminder for me that there is an expiry date on my earthly body, you know. There is an expiry date. One day, I will no longer be here. But that's not the end of me. That's the beginning of me as an imager for the Lord. And so everything and everyone that I hold dear and treasure in this life can be lost in a moment. Twinkle of an eye. And sometimes, uh, without, without warning. So by the grace of God, what I do? 
I lay off anything that might hinder or stop me from seeking first the kingdom of God. How many more days? Only God knows. When I, I want to be productive. I want to be abounding in the work of God. I want to be steadfast. I want to be immovable, keeping my eye on the finishing line. So that one day, I'll have the joy, you know. Listen, whether at my own deathbed, right, or the deathbed of my loved ones, right, to be able to say, not goodbye or farewell, but to be able to say what? See you soon. Eh, maybe see you soon, not so good. Choi, got it. See you later. Yeah. See you later. Isn't that incredible? Not to say goodbye, you know, as I look at, you know, the virtual funerals, I saw some of them, I knew they were not believers and they couldn't even give a good farewell, you know, couldn't even say it. But for those of us, it will not be goodbye or farewell. It will be just, wait, you go first, I'll follow, I'll come. We will meet again. We will be resurrected in, in, with a glorious body. Amen. So today, I want us to just respond to the word of God. It's a simple word. It's a clear word, right? It's a clear word. But think about what the Lord has done for us. Not just help us overcome sin, which is a big problem. But beyond that, He has given us life eternal. He came to die and He was raised again so that we too will be raised again. And so if you can just pause before the Lord, just close your eyes bow before Him, no one looking around. Let's have this hope before us, the hope that is never in vain. One day we will be like our Lord Jesus Christ. Our resurrection is sure. Amen. And also our death, because both are in the hands of God. You can't have one without the other. So today as we revel in in this fact that God has done such a great work for us to save us, to to bring us back, to become His images, to cause what was broken to be healed, what was lost to be found. Such grace, such love. Knowing all this, I want to ask if you're just casually coasting through life today, without a care, consideration or concern about the Lord's work. Paul said, you know, therefore, always abound in the work of the Lord. You know, maybe you need to reassess your life right now, how you're living today. If you know you're going to live forever, how are you going to live today? So don't just coast through life. Do something, make, make something meaningful out of your life. And some of you at a place today that you're doing exceedingly well. God has been really good to you. Well, don't take that blessing for granted. Remember to give thanks to Him. But also think about how you can use or leverage on your success and that special place of well-being to be a positive influence for the kingdom of God. How can you be steadfast? How can you be steadfast even with all that God has blessed you with? How can you use all that God has given you to leverage on helping somebody get closer to the kingdom? But we actually, some of you are going through a rough patch today, a really rough patch. Your job is unstable, finances are low. Maybe somebody you know is battling a sickness. Or maybe there's a strain in your relationships, in your family, with your spouse or with your children. We will pray for you 
that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead you know, is working, will work on your behalf and in your favour to benefit you. But whatever your circumstances today, keep steady. Be immovable. Keep your focus, keep your trust, keep your loyalty to God and trust in Him that God is faithful to deliver you in His perfect timing. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Today, I'm going to ask those of you who, who are responding to this altar call, to respond to this, I just want to ask you to stand from where you are. Everyone is seated, no one is looking. But if you feel that, yeah, I need prayer, I want to stand, I want to make my life count, I want to be always abounding in the work of God, immovable, steadfast. If you're that person, I just want you to stand where you are as a dedication to God this morning. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you for those who are up there in the gallery. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Father, these are the ones who want to make use of their life, who want their lives to be of use for you in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray a corporate prayer. And then I want to invite those of you who are standing to just come out to the altars that we can actually minister to you person to person, life on life. But let me just pray a, a corporate prayer for everyone as we do that. Eyes closed. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have the blessed hope. A blessed hope of our future resurrection that is guaranteed, confirmed and chopped. Let this hope govern how we live our lives, knowing that because of the certainty of resurrection, our preaching, our faith, and even our labour in the Lord are not in vain. Therefore, let us be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that everything we do for the sake of your kingdom will not be wasted. Whatever challenges we face, even to the point of death today, we say we will not fear because we know that we are victorious in Christ. Help us, Lord, to hold on to that promise today that we will again see our loved ones who have gone ahead of us. We look forward with faith to the day of our own, restora our own res restoration and own resurrection to the fulfilment of your Edenic vision where we will rule and reign together as your people on earth. For in Jesus' name, we ask and we pray. So let me invite those of you who are standing, just come to the front, take that extra step of faith so that we can minister to you in prayer. Thank you. Uh, Come on church Shall we rise and worship together Hallelujah Praise the one who set me free Hallelujah Death has lost its grip on me You have broken every chain There's salvation in your name Jesus Christ My